1: Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders. Hey, I really want to thank you for tuning in once again, and I invite you to go to outcomesrocket.com slash reviews, where you could go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review on what you thought about today's episode. And so uh really, again, just want to say thanks. I have an amazing guest for you to listen today. Her name is Ligia Ricciardi. She is a digital health expert president of Clear Voice Consulting. She works to empower individual patients and consumers in health using digital tools. She does a lot to help her clients who share in this goal as well to successfully navigate the quickly changing digital health business and policy landscape and position themselves for success within it. I wanna open up the microphone to Lygia to just fill in any of the gaps in that introduction and welcome you to the podcast, Lygia.
0: Thank you so much, Saul. It is a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to be joining you.
1: It is so exciting to have you on all the way from D.C. Legia, you're in a really hot spot there with a lot of things going on, but what is it that made you decide to get into healthcare to begin with?
0: You know, interestingly, Saul, I started out getting into technology and saying technology is the biggest force, I think, that's really changing the landscape My first job out of college when I was in an undergrad was writing business school case studies for Harvard Business School. And so we were looking at business history, like, what are the big themes? And so, of course, the question came up, you know, what are the big themes now? And technology, hands down, seemed to be redoing everything, not just about business, but about society. Mm -hmm. So I got really interested in how information technology can not just make things more efficient, say but how it can fundamentally change social structures and hierarchies and things like that. And I saw that early on in both education, learning, and also in healthcare. So I got really interested in that subject, went back to grad school. There weren't any courses in how is technology gonna totally change healthcare? So I had to sort of like put the pieces together and make it up, you know, working with people who I thought were inspiring whether at the MIT Media Lab or the Kennedy School of Government, as well as at the education school, and just trying to string together ideas about, like, how are we going to use this technology to fundamentally change, well, in this case, healthcare? And at its essence, the answer to that, for me, came down to empowerment and empowerment of what's been called the most underutilized resource in healthcare, which is patients patients and families are more motivated than anybody else to have positive health outcomes and their actions make a huge impact on what actually happens in terms of well-being and health generally as well as even in acute settings so yeah, The question is, how do you take healthcare and really leverage technology to help patients be more engaged and effective?
1: Uh, that's really interesting. You, you sort of were ahead of your time, Lygia. Like you, uh, you wanted to somehow put technology and healthcare together. And fast forward to today, you're very much at the center of how do we engage patients better? And so on that question, how do we engage patients better? What would you give the leaders in healthcare today, if it was like a number one thing they should keep in mind to do this?
0: Yeah. So one really basic thing, and I think many people who know me in this field know me for a role that I had in government a few years ago. I went to the Department of Health and Human Services in ONC, Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, when they were right at the beginning of figuring out what meaningful use policy looked like. Mm -hmm. And as your listeners probably know, that's a $36 billion program, more or less, that has been largely responsible, I would say, for helping us as a country move from paper health records to online health records. So I jumped in there and I said, if we're doing this process and we're revamping healthcare and rethinking about how it could be digital, let's not just make it about providers and hospitals. Patients need access to their own information as well. So I worked on a variety of things. I created the Office of Consumer eHealth and really pushed to have patients and consumers be part of the equation. So part of meaningful use requirements are that patients and families need to have online access to their own records. So one simple answer to your question, if you're already in the healthcare industry, is make it easier for patients to get their own data online and make it not just a one-way thing so that they can find out about test results or read their records, but make it a two-way thing. Think about how you can incorporate not only you know, questions they may have, but we've had this immense explosion of technology in the outside world. And by outside, I mean outside of healthcare. Yes, Phones, for example, <laughs> just in the last you know, five or 10 years, everybody now carries around what would have been a supercomputer. 10, 15, 20 years ago, in our pockets, mm-hmm. as well as all kinds of wearables. And there are all these new technologies that are collecting data about us that is potentially extremely relevant in a healthcare setting. So, if you are in the current healthcare system, think about, again, not only opening things up to patients, but being receptive and open to their information and their priorities as well. So, that's probably in some ways the lowest hanging fruit from my perspective.
1: That's a really great tip, uh, Lygia. And and would you give the listeners an example of how maybe a project that you've been involved with or discussion that you've had that's led to improved outcomes because of this?
0: Yeah, so um, I'll give one example of a project that I've worked with called Open Notes, which you may have heard of or Mm -hmm. some of your listeners may have heard of. It comes out of Boston. And it is a program that essentially helps hospitals and healthcare providers to give access not only to medical records to their patients, but also to the doctor's notes. So these are these little you know, notes that physicians in the past and other clinicians would make to themselves only that were always hidden, presumably because patients would have no need to understand them or wouldn't understand them or wouldn't be interested. But it turns out that really isn't the case. And so Open Notes has been able to spread awareness of this idea of access to data, including patient notes, really on a national basis. And they've found that in situations in which providers were very reluctant to share their notes, I don't have the data in front of me, but essentially one of the biggest concerns was providers just didn't want to share their notes, didn't feel comfortable with it. And almost everybody who's participated in that program from a provider perspective has found that it impacted their relationship with their patients positively and impacted outcomes. Similarly, patients who were perhaps a little reticent and thought, ah oh, does that apply to me? Why would I want to look at my notes anyway or any of this stuff? Found that they were more engaged. They understood their health care better. Other data, certainly from other projects, you know, there's some data that I cite often from AARP which has to do with the fact that more engaged patients are more likely to avoid medical errors and to be readmitted to a hospital within 30 days, you know, significantly, as well as to help avoid just basic communications efforts or issues that come up because the patient knows their body better than anyone else. So you don't have to, you know, have an M.D., To know that if you're a man and you're listed as pregnant, there might be something wrong. Perhaps your records are messed up. So some of these are sort of really basic things like finding errors. But there are a lot of other things too. Like patients often know, usually have a much clearer idea of what's going on with their medications than anybody else. Whether they're taking the medications they picked up or not, or why they're not, or why they didn't work, or how they did. Those kinds of things
1: are hugely important. That's a great call out, uh, Ligeia, and and definitely patient engagement's huge. We were both at the Health 2.0 conference, and I was eating breakfast, and I was sitting next to this gentleman, Danny Sands. He's the um, the physician out of Boston. Not sure if you've heard of the guy.
0: Oh, I know Danny
1: well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and, uh, he was just kind of making some great points like you are, All about patient engagement and the patient engagement movement and how it does improve outcomes and so appreciate you taking that path down that that lane I really do agree you know and so the question is incentives you know it it comes back to incentives and how do we get companies or providers to start doing this if there are no financial Incentives because oftentimes that's what drives it, right? Right,
0: so great question. First of all, to the question of incentives per se, you know, I spoke earlier about the meaningful use program, that $36 yes. billion dollar program, mm-hmm. that is still alive and well and going on. And in order to participate in it, healthcare providers need to show that they have the capability and have exercised to a more limited extent than I would like, but nevertheless have given patients the ability to view or download or transmit and share their records. So there are incentives in the sense that a piece of that bigger $36 billion pie requires that participants use an EHR that has this kind of capability and that they actually engage in it. And I hope that that will just be the beginning that helps healthcare providers to see that this is worthwhile. What's as interesting or maybe more interesting to me right now is that we're starting to see healthcare organizations organically understanding or coming up with their own reasons and motivations to invest in patient engagement that have nothing to do with meaningful use. So for example, a little earlier in the fall, I was at the InterSystems Healthcare Leadership Conference, okay. and um, they bring together folks from not only the U.S., but China, the U.K., Australia, and other areas. And I wanted to find out. I mean, I was helping them think about what was going on with patient engagement. I led some sessions. I did some presentations. I moderated some panels. And I was expecting to hear more about meaningful use as a motivator for investing in patient engagement. But what I heard was that the biggest motivator was really paving the way for value-based care, which makes complete sense. Yeah, Like hands down, that was what people were talking about and that's why they were investing because they're figuring healthcare depends to a large extent on what patients do outside of the clinical setting. It's about when you decide to seek care and whether you follow up on what was prescribed or not. Totally. And it's also about daily behaviors. Do you choose to smoke? Do you use the seatbelts? What do you eat? Do you exercise? All that stuff matters. You may have seen the, or heard the statistics that only about 10% of your overall health is determined by what happens, directly determined by what happens in the health system. So if that bigger picture depends in large part on things that are within patient's control, you have to engage them if you're going to see better outcomes over the long term. And I think a lot of folks are recognizing that, but they also gave a couple of other reasons too. One was some were seeing immediate cost savings in engaging patients. So for example- Well, there are a couple reasons. So, one issue is that there are an awful lot of higher than I realized a large number of no shows when patients sign up for appointments. So, it's actually 42% of appointments result in no shows. Wow. So, you can imagine, (laughs) yeah, it sure is. So, you can imagine that, again, if you think of engaging patients generally as reaching out to them, having a conversation, all that stuff reaching out to somebody, having a relationship and ensuring that they're more likely to actually come in for that appointment makes sense, no matter what your payment model is. (laughs) Certainly in a fee-for-service world, you don't want to miss those appointments because they might be missing not only, you know, one appointment, but perhaps it's a consultation for something larger, like a surgery or something like that. So there's that basic idea of pulling patients in and keeping them engaged. There's also the point that sometimes if you can get patients to do some online preparation before a visit, for example, filling out some basic details or looking over their medication list to see whether it's correct and flagging any issues, you can save a lot of time, person time and effort, not only for the healthcare system, but also for the individual, if you get that all done ahead of time. These are the kinds of things, again, it's not rocket science, lots of other businesses are doing this, but it's nice to see healthcare recognizing some of these benefits as well. There's another reason that came up during these conversations at the InterSystem Summit, and that was that essentially customers' or consumers' expectations are starting to shift. So it's really about marketing and customer attention. And people are used to a much higher level of service than healthcare generally gives in many areas of our lives. And you think about... How many services are available basically on demand? You can have things delivered to your door within hours by drone. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Or in, yep. a, in a locker down the street, what have you. Um, so, you know, people are less interested in sort of the game you have to play sometimes to participate in the traditional healthcare system. You know, you're calling, oh, sorry, they're out for lunch. You cannot leave a message. <laughs> you know, like this whole thing is a lot harder than getting online to book a consultation and certainly there are a lot of particularly smaller new companies that are helping to bridge some of those service gaps so it's not just that healthcare organizations are providing those services directly but there are companies that are doing that for them that they can hire to work with
1: hey Lychea, that's these are really great points and I'm glad you pushed back on my initial hey you know the incentives aren't there like why Why would people do it? So thank you for doing that. Why do you think this uh, idea of healthcare consumerism, right? It's come up. Why do you think it's becoming more pronounced now compared to in the past?
0: I think a couple of reasons. One is that healthcare costs are really hurting us badly. In a broad brush sense, our whole economy is suffering, certainly companies that are suffering and providing healthcare services, but individuals are suffering a great deal too. There's been a lot of obviously uncertainty over coverage and costs related to political debates about healthcare reform. But the fact is, healthcare costs continue to go up and continue to be one of the main reasons for. Personal bankruptcy and other kinds of just strain and stress. Even people who don't file for bank- bankruptcy may be really struggling under yeah. the burden of healthcare costs. So there's that issue, and sort of hoping that we could pull in consumerism, harness it to make it to help people make better choices. And another initiative that I think is really terrific, by the way, is the one called Choosing Wisely, which okay. helps people better understand that. Sometimes one of the problems we have in this country is overcare. There's too much care prescribed yeah. and there can be too much of an incentive even financially for healthcare providers to say, let's run another test or let's do that procedure. So really thinking about whether that makes sense for you as an individual, either from a healthcare wellness perspective and or from a financial perspective is important.
1: Totally. And even like, for instance, that, that's where the access to your care information can make sense too, right? Like, over-prescription of MRIs is a result, oftentimes, of lack of interoperability.
0: Exactly right. Yeah. 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 Because it's hard to pull up that test from two totally. months ago or even two days ago. You know, it's like, oh, let's run another one so we can get the answers immediately. Yeah. But that's, that's a lot of uh, waste and cost. But it's also potentially, with some tests, opening the the patient up to some unnecessary risks.
1: Totally. And and so if you're a patient listening to this, a.k.a. you are, (laughs) or or if you're an employer uh, listening to this, let's pause for a second and think about, what we can do to get more access to this information because there are ways for us to curb costs. You got to look and think creatively at the things like Ligia is mentioning. She does put some blog posts out there with uh, ideas on the things that she's working on as well. So definitely encourage you to check out her work. And so Ligia, tell us a little bit about something you're excited about and working on today.
0: Sure. Um, I think something I'm interested in is, I mean, I've been exploring a lot of ways in which we can kind of take patient engagement to the next level. I see it as sort of bare bones that we exchange information with patients and that we draw them into the care process, even that they're partners in their own healthcare. But as I kind of look forward and think not only what is healthcare going to look like in, say, five years, 10 years, but what is health going to look like? I'm really interested in exploring ways in which people are taking health and kind of making it their own. So for example, I just did an interview for a Podcast series that I'm going to be launching later in in 2018, but it has to do with it right around the corner. I didn't say exactly when in 2018.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Um,
0: But, uh, you know, there's some really fascinating stories out there about people who have taken what we might think of, and by people I mean often patients, have taken what we might think of as a disability or a healthcare problem and turned it into. A source of strength and something really unique. So, for example, somebody who doesn't have a limb, like maybe lacking half a leg or something like yes. that. And instead of saying, like, okay, well, what can I do to kind of be like everybody else? And can I get a prosthetic that maybe will fool people to thinking that I'm quote normal because, you know, just like everybody else? Instead, What could you do with that leg to make it yours, uniquely yours, and maybe even give you a sort of an edge, like a superpower above what other people might have? Yeah. How can you think of it as something cool? I mean, on a much more everyday level, you know, when I was a kid and people had to wear braces, they hated it. It was like embarrassing, metal mouth, you know, you looked really stupid. Well, I have a daughter, preteen daughter, who has braces and she was kind of excited to get them. Not that they do anything special, <laughs> but the point is, she's allowed to update them by putting the colored colors. caps on them. Yeah. yeah, so she's got like her December holidays thing going on. That's she's got red and green for Christmas. That's so cute. The point is, it's not just, oh, healthcare is like beige, dull, boring, and awful, something you have to do, but it's more about like helping you be your most awesome, healthy self.
1: Yeah. So that's a
0: direction I'm exploring, absolutely, and trying to support. That's really interesting.
1: That's really interesting. I'm excited for your thoughts in that and and the podcast too. Let me know when it launches. Do you have a link for it, by the way, yet or not yet?
0: Not yet, but uh, stay tuned. You'll hear about it.
1: Okay. Fantastic. All right. Lygia. time flies when you're having fun. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. And in fact, in patient engagement today. And so we're going to call it the one-on-one of Lygia Ricciardi. And so we're, we're going to write out the syllabus. We've got four lightning round questions followed by a book you recommend to the listeners. You ready?
0: Okay, I think we should do this.
1: (laughs) Let's. So, what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: The best way to improve healthcare outcomes is to empower the patients and families who are actually more responsible for shaping them than anybody else.
1: Love it. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
0: One mistake, I'm not sure it's the biggest, but it's certainly big, is assuming a kind of a one size fits all solution. Where I have seen healthcare systems be particularly successful, and technology companies too, is thinking about how you can use technology to tailor things to the needs of the individual. So, whether that means a larger font size for people who have trouble reading something small, or it means putting it in their native language or maybe it means the approach. So for example, there's an app I like Noom which it's supposed to help with weight loss and motivation and nice. it asks you what kind of coach do you want? Do you want like a drill sergeant who's going to yell at you or do you want a really supportive, friendly, you got this kind yeah. of coach? Yeah. But like those kinds of things play into personal preference in a way that isn't just uh, something you might know about somebody from the demographics. So pulling in those individual needs and addressing the specific case of the individual is something you really wanted to, to succeed. Very and cool. if you avoid doing so, again, at your peril.
1: And you mentioned Noom. How do you spell that?
0: N-O-O-M.
1: N-O-O-M. And that's an app on the app store? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, Listeners will include that uh, as well as any other links that uh, Ligia mentions in the show notes. So how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change?
0: Okay. So uh, are you asking about me and my organization or one, this is the syllabus for our friends? How do you say, yes, I think the best way to do that is to build a real connection to your customer. Who, again, may not directly be patients, but increasingly in a value-based world, patients and families, you need to think of them as your customer. And you need to sort of keep communication up, keep in lockstep with them because they're going to be changing. Their needs are going to be changing. Their expectations are going to be changing. And you're not going to know where that comes from unless you can have that communication going. And certainly there's a lot going on with sort of population-based health and tracking large populations and understanding differences in how particular groups are acting or what their needs are. That's really important too. But having those really personal connections, there's nothing else like that.
1: It's a great call out. And finally, what's one area of focus that should drive everything else in your organization?
0: I mean, it really has to be the patient and their family. It has to be. Like what's going to make them healthy and help them meet their own goals? So I I choose those words deliberately. It's not just about making them healthy. There are certain healthcare situations in which there may be a trade-off. How quickly do you want to get better versus how much range of motion is it important for you to have or something like that? So you need to keep talking to that patient and family and find out what they want. Maybe they don't want to live as long as possible, but they want a higher quality of life listen and respond to that as opposed to some generic sense of either this is what we think health means or we've managed to heal a particular problem, you know, we fixed the hip, but the patient died anyway. You know, it's like what matters to them is what you should always keep front and center.
1: Awesome. I love it. And what book would you recommend to the listeners, Lygia?
0: So I'm going to recommend a book that doesn't blatantly have to do with healthcare or with patient engagement.
1: Let's hear it. Um,
0: <laughs> I recently finished reading Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Nice. And um, what he does for the book is to interview a whole lot of people who are exceptional leaders in their fields. Some of them are amazing athletes. Some of them are amazing business people, thinkers, podcasters, even all kinds of folks. And tries to understand their secrets and put them all, secrets of success, and put them all in a book. And I found that really inspiring. And I, you know, I kept putting little tabs and stickies in as I was going. And by the time I was done, it's quite a long book. It was like all covered in flags (laughs) because there was so much that was so (laughs) inspirational. And it made me, you know, want to be a better person professionally, as well as just in a very holistic sense.
1: What a great recommendation! And uh, yeah, you know we got to think outside of the healthcare box. So I think this is a great recommendation, Lygia. Listeners, if you want, to uh, just check this book out as well as the syllabus that we just created for you. Go to outcomesrocket.com/lygia. That's L-Y-G. E I A, And you're going to be able to find all the show notes as well as links to the resources we checked out with her today. So before we conclude, Legia, this has been a lot of fun. I'd love for you to just share a closing thought with the listeners and the best place where they could get a hold of you.
0: Thank you so much, Saul. I, you know, yeah. I think I, I like that point that you made about thinking outside of the box. And we often talk in healthcare about silos and how Mm -hmm. there are silos maybe within industries, different health systems don't talk to one another. Even within conferences, there are too many tracks and people stay in their track. So maybe a resolution for folks for 2018 would be to get outside your silo. And by that, I mean, not just in healthcare, think broader, think always Mm -hmm. about how what you are experiencing, maybe with technology or quality of life generally, outside of healthcare, how can you bring some of that back? You go to a restaurant, you have an amazing customer service experience. How might that relate to something, you know, within your healthcare waiting room, for example, or something like that? So let's try to be creative and get outside of the usual silos.
1: A great call out, Lygia. And what would you say the best place for the listeners to reach out to you or follow you would be?
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lygia. You can reach me on LinkedIn. I was just elected to the 2018 class of HIM social media ambassadors. So nice. I'll be hanging out online. I was lucky to be part of that group in <laughs> 2017 as well. And it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm out there on social media. I also have a website, Lygia.com, L-Y-G-E-I-A. So, you know, please feel free to reach out and, and share ideas, reactions, thoughts.
1: That's outstanding, Lygia. So again, listeners, uh, just join me in saying a big thank you to Lygia. We really appreciate the time you took to talk to us about patient engagement today.
0: Sure. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast.
0: Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.